Joy's birthday. Two two. I never forget it. I mean, like it's uh, no, I didn't forget her birthday. It's just I had it written down actually, but but uh, I just had remembered that and. Uh, All right, all right, all right. She's funny about her birthday, you know, so I had to at least bring it up. I've got a gift for her, but I'll reveal it when it comes time. We're back into talking about the church of Ephesus this morning and uh, a little bit of a recap if, uh, if you missed anything. Um, there's some unhappy kids back there. Oh. Well, she's probably faking it. <laughs> kids got to be kids, you know. So in the church, the last we talked about, we talked about uh, uh, the before, the foundations of the world, the very first chapter 1, Ephesians. We, we covered how, where they came from. They come from this background, according to Acts 19, uh, that uh, they came from witchcraft. They came from idolatry. They came from pagan worship. They came from all these, like, uh, terrible, you know, uh, really just lost just, just lost people worshiping whatever God was the God of the day, and um, uh, anything that was socially popular, and anything which was false idolatry, which was uh, some of the Greek gods who promoted a lot of unhealthy things, and and they they talked about uh, or they they were part of all of this uh, uh, kind of culture clash that happened in Ephesus, and so. In the midst of all that, there were disciples of Jesus, and when Paul writes his letter, he doesn't write it to an actual organization or the denomination of Jesus' disciples. He, he writes it just sincerely to those whom he had met there, these disciples. He calls them the church of Ephesus, but really they're not an organized fellowship. They're just people who kind of talk about Jesus and meet in the house. They hang out. They have food together. Uh, and so we talked about how Paul, when he first greets him here, it's been a while, it's been three or four years now, have passed. He says, hey, before the foundations of the way, he starts laying some deep truth on them. He's trying to express his love and his gratitude. He talks about, hey, there might have been some issues there. Let me bring up what spiritual wisdom is. And he talks a little bit about that with them. But today, he talks, we're going to talk about remembering. And as we break into chapter 2, which is where we're going to be, uh, you can open your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be right in verse 1 through verse 10, and we're just going to hang there. We're going to hang there, and we're going to talk about remembering. We're going to talk about remembering this morning. Now, I'm going to be a little bit forthcoming this morning. I'm going to share a little bit with you this morning. Uh, I don't know if you've, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm not going to get into the political landscape uh, I, I may rant on that in a little bit, but uh, I'm not going to rant on that right now. But so when I talk about Facebook this morning, I want to talk about something that I did see that is happening on Facebook that I thought was funny. All right. Uh, and that was I saw I don't know who like tries to start this stuff, but it's still funny to me like that. I don't know if it's just because we're bored or just because like we want to show ourselves. I don't know what the whole deal is. But like uh, it's amazing to me that uh, what we see on. Uh, <clears throat> it's the sign never gets anybody. We got a bigger signs out front. The, uh, what, what's amazing to me is what we need uh, is, is there's this push. I saw a couple of people put it. Post an old photo of yourself in high school and post a photo of yourself now. And it was like, I'm like, what? I'm not doing that dumb stuff. I mean, like, why do I don't even understand why? And I think there's this idea that, um, that, that we all like to reminisce a little bit. You know, we all kind of like to think about where, who we used to be or where we've come from or anything like that. Some of you hadn't been out of high school very long. Don't worry. It's not about you today, all right? Some of you still in high school. It ain't about you today. 
But so I like I, I couldn't find truthfully I could not find a picture of myself in high school. So there's one like right when I got out of the boot camp and I'm home for leave and I I brought it in. It's pretty funny looking. Uh, uh, yeah, you can pick out. Who, I mean, like I've never been this skinny ever. Uh, it was only boot camp that created that. And like so, uh, this is a very arrogant me. And, and I the sad part of this is like the me I don't I wouldn't even recognize who this guy is anymore. This guy is like an awful guy. You you don't know it, but he really is. And and. Uh, uh, my poor brothers, they, they would witness and testify. Well, I've literally had my brother John, who is the tall one there. Uh, believe it or not, he's my little brother, uh, who actually said, I believe in Jesus. I saw your life. You know, I mean, literally has said that to me. I believe in Jesus because I saw you grow up. There's no way it, God has to be real. Look at you. <clears throat> so I, I thought it was a funny picture this morning. But like, it really goes to what we're going to talk about this morning. Because there's this idea, Paul says, remember where you came from? Remember who you used to be? And, and why do we do that? Because I need to reflect on how drunk I used to get or how much I used to party or how much. Of... No, no, no. Paul, Paul's going to go on to say, because remember what Jesus did for you? Look at who you are now. Look at who you are now. The power of remembering and look at who you are now. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're going to start in, in a, a week. Yeah, thank you. We can take that off. Uh, <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And this is Paul's intentions towards the church in Ephesus, remembering. He says this, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclination of our own sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even when we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us all, all in the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believe. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. <coughs> Sorry today. The text or what Paul is trying to pre present to you is this contrast like, remember who you were before Christ? I don't mean for you to, like, go back and be like, yeah, dude, I was the bomb, man, I partied all. No, it ain't like that. <laughs> He's like, remember how horrible you were? Right? He's trying to contrast with who we are, who we were before we met Christ, and who we become after Christ has saved us. He's saying, remember when? Remember when you were dead? You know, dead to God because you were just disobedient. You were a a child of the devil. Some of you may have been called that. I have probably been called that at least once in my life. Probably by, I, I think I remember teachers calling me that. All right. At some point, because you're disobedient, because of the way you behave, because of the way you acted, because of the, listen, Paul says, because of your very nature, just, just the way you are, disobedient, you were dead. You used to live in sin. He says, remember when you used to live in sin? Remember when that was just easy for you? When you didn't even have a conscience about something that was bad like you do now? Like how some things rub you now, but they didn't rub you like 
5, 6, 7, 10, 20 years ago. But they rub you now. He says, and by the way, I love it because he says, remember when you lived in sin pretty much like everybody else did? You weren't no different. You were just like everyone else. He says, you used to obey the devil. Now, that's a big one. Because, I mean, i got to be honest. I might have heard a lot of voices in my life, but I don't think I've heard the devil's voice. Maybe at a rock concert. I went to a Motley Crue concert one time. <clears throat> I'm pretty close. I'm pretty sure I participated in devil worship there. As much as I like the music, there was a moment where I'm pretty sure I was like, I think I just did participate in devil worship. I'm pretty sure. Um, but he says, you used to obey the devil, refusing to obey God. And I think that's a hard part like for us. I think we'd like never associate ourselves with like, I'm not the devil. Mm, I'm not sure. Let me read to you John chapter 8, just a few verses from Jesus. Jesus talking to a crowd that doesn't like Jesus. Jesus talking to a crowd that doesn't want to believe what Jesus has to say. Jesus talking to a group of people that don't like what Jesus stands for, don't want anything to do with Jesus, don't like Jesus' ideas, principles, anything else, right? This is what he says. But you are following the advice of your father. This is Jesus talking to them. Our father is Abraham, they declared. Man, what are you talking about? We're Christians. No, Jesus replied, for if you were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you're trying to kill me because I told you the truth, when I heard, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. No, you're imitating your real father. They replied, we aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? <coughs> I'm sorry. He says, it's because you can't even hear me, for you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Now, this is what he says. I mean, to me, it's like a real throwdown. These are people who profess one thing, but naturally they incline to another. You know, and really, truthfully, they just believe what they want to believe. They believe whatever's convenient and easy for them. That's really what's happening. <coughs> the, the bottom line truth is this. Like, we really just hate truth. We hate it. Because if it doesn't line up with us, man, it, 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 uh, we kind of create it to be whatever we want it to be. This is when we act like the devil. This is when we're ultimately ungodly. But the, here's the thing. Truth is truth. Whether you like it or not, can I tell you, it's not up for a vote. Truth is not up for a vote. It's truth. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it, but it doesn't stop it from being true. By the way, the Bible is true regardless if you believe it. Your faith in it doesn't make it not true. Your faith or lack thereof has nothing to do with whether it's true or not true. That's up to you, but it's truth no matter what. You either receive that or you don't. But if you don't, that doesn't make it not true. Truth is truth. He's saying as the devil desires to sin and cannot see his own sin, you follow him completely and in the same fashion. Let's <coughs> make me a little water. <coughs> we never see it like that. We never see ourselves being the devil. Uh, mainly because it comes so naturally to us. Kind of let me explain it. A lot of it has to do with just, we justify our behavior. At the end of the day, 
Our theology is created somewhere internally, naturally inside of us. It takes Jesus to have to wreck that thing now and then to get it, to get it straightened. Constantly, because our nature is to sin, there's this side of us that is constantly taking theology, which is God-centered, and, and making it our ideology, which kind of pushes man and uh, theology together. And so we, we tend to have this idea or desire to create a, a concept of Christianity that appeases us. That's why, like, everybody's Christianity seems somewhat different. Because our experiences give us one aspect of life. I could easily have a bad experience with something and say, that's the horrible thing on the face of the earth. I ain't never going to be a part of that. Da, 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 da. Somebody else have a good experience, maybe a miraculous experience, and go, man, you're crazy, man. I've seen some crazy, amazing things and stuff. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I've seen some things that make me think that ministry is unbelievable. Well, that's their experience. That's not necessarily the truth or the word of God. All right? Here's the thing is, there has to be this place within us where we're always hungry for the truth, even if it hurts us. Let me say it again. Even if it hurts us, we must be hungry for the truth. By the way, most often truth will hurt you. Because by nature, what Paul's trying to explain here, you're always in, you're always in a war with it. Because naturally, you don't incline to it. You want to make truth about whatever your heart desires. That's what we do. Trying to explain to somebody uh, the other day at the office that in Jeremiah, when the, one of the greatest passages to me that describes us is when he says, the heart is deceitfully wicked, which means that not even you understand how bad it is. Matter of fact, it's able to disguise its wickedness from you, is what it implies. That you think it's good when it actually is wicked. The, I was trying to explain, the heart is like a spoiled child. Anybody understand that statement? It's like a spoiled child. You give it everything it wants. That's what you do. Well, the heart wants what the heart wants, Pastor. Uh-huh. It's bad. It wants bad stuff sometimes. If we always gave what the heart wants, I mean, sometimes the heart needs to be treated like you actually love it, right? Like you actually love yourself and know that sometimes uh, hardships in life are good for you. Wouldn't, wouldn't most of you say amen to that? Hardships in life are good for you? But do you think, that, does the heart ever want hardships? No. No, right? But that's how the heart is. Bottom line truth. In our rejection of Christ, what we're saying to him, when we reject truth, when we reject Christ, what we're saying is that we're fine without him. Like we don't need him. Uh, and, and ultimately, we, we, we have a tendency to push back on Jesus. And why do we push back on Jesus? Uh, uh, like, uh, again, hardship, most of the coming to Jesus has been hardship. Most of Jesus has been coming to light, what to bring out the darkness that of in your heart already that's already in there. So the more we draw closer to Christ, the more the light shines in us. The more the light shines in us, it reveals what? That our heart is wicked. That our heart lines up more often with the, what the devil wants or what the devil thinks than it lines up with good. It's easiest for us to fall back into doing something bad than it is to ever drive towards something good. Man, if you don't trust me, try praying every day. It's pretty hard. Verse 3, he says, listen, and before you think you get all prideful thinking, well, I've been saved for a long time, Pastor. I've, I've, you know, I'm trying so hard. I'm doing this. Paul, like in verse 3, says, all of us used to live this way. He says, so even Paul goes, not even me. Not even me and all my theology and all the boasts that I could throw in here about how great I can write. Not even I am exempt from this. There's not one of us that's greater than the other. Not one of us. So by saying all, he's saying, listen, uh, don't be big-headed. 
there's nowhere you can be. Remember that we're all in this together, that we're all at the same place, that we all struggle with truth, that we all struggle with the desire. Some of us want to be right more than we want the truth. When he says all, this verse puts us all there. We're all in the same boat. We've all sinned from birth, and we don't know another way. So this idea, this I wrote in my notes, I said this, I, this uh, throws away the idea of judgment. Because now you're as guilty as everybody else. So, like, where do you get off judging? Because you're, like, as guilty as everyone else is, man. You were all in this boat. Even Paul says, I can't even judge. Why? Because I was worse than all of you. That's what he likes to say. Paul goes on to say in some, some of the epistles, man, I was the worst, the chief sinner. I'm the worst than all of you. He never puts himself higher. He puts himself at the lowest. The more I understand, you know, one of the things that has helped me with uh, understanding the cross and loving Jesus more is the understanding. The more... I understand how wicked and deceitful my heart is, the greater I have an appreciation for Jesus. The more I come to grips and that truth becomes self-evident to me that I am the lowest of the low, that God came down and saved the lowest of the low, the more I can fall in love with Jesus because the more I see him as having rescued me. And that's not giving into that. It's just the truth. It's just the truth. But the cool thing about Paul here is this is what we say from the get-go. This is about remembering, all right? This is about remembering what you were. This is who we were, right? If you don't know Jesus, this is who you are. But if you know Jesus, this is who you were. Verse 4 and 5, but God is so rich in his mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us life and he raised Christ from the dead. It's only through God's grace you've been saved. This is the gospel. Paul never stops reminding them of the gospel. It's a defining moment. There's a reason for this, guys. Remembering allows us to return to our first love. Remembering takes us back, back to the journey where we remember darkness, so pitch black darkness, and then Christ shines light, and for the first time we see ourselves as we truly are in the light of God. And it allows us to go, oh, Lord, I'm sorry all over again. Like, there's no condemnation. We just see it and we know. Christ is not saying, I didn't shine that light just so you'd feel bad about yourself. I shined that light because I needed, you to, I needed to save you. He's not, it's not condemnation we see when we remember. When we remember, we remember the glory of Christ and how greatly he loved us, that he rescued us while we were dead. While we were dead. <coughs> Being saved is a big deal, kind of a big deal, so big that we remind ourselves constantly of the great sacrifice. We do it all the time, man. We have Easter, we have Christmas, and we all, like if like the, the one cent central point of the gospel, the whole reasons the epistles are there are so we constantly remind ourselves why all this began in the first place. It's all pointing us to Jesus, right? As pastors, we try to go out of our way to, point, to show you how everything points to him. Why? Because we want you to remember where you came from, where you're headed, why you're even headed there now. Who detoured your life? Jesus. Jesus did. Right? And sometimes we fail to realize how great the sacrifice was. It's true. You know, I read a story years ago, like I think it was like 2007, and it was about these two kids who... I think they were like 8 and 10, and two boys, they went out and played near a rock quarry, and as they were near this rock quarry, man, they didn't pay no attention, uh, 
they ended up uh, throwing, throwing a ball around or whatever and playing near this rock or throwing rocks like kids do. And they ended up next to this place that was real sandy, loamy kind of area. Didn't think anything twice about it. Never been an issue before. And, man, they found themselves standing in quicksand. And uh, luckily, well, they, you know, what does every kid do? Man, I'm getting out of this stuff. I mean, they start to fight. They start to struggle. It's the instinct of everybody, man. Self-preservation sets in, right? And, and immediately they try to struggle. Listen, it doesn't take 10 or 15 minutes in that struggle that they're already waist deep. 15 minutes in, they're waist deep. Praise the Lord, one of these kids has a cell phone. And man, he calls his mom and he is frantic. Right? Frantic. And man, she can't understand a word he's saying because it's so frantic. And he is calling and he's trying to tell him and he's trying to call and he's trying to say all these things. And he's trying to just get a hold of like, you please listen. Right? Let me tell you where I'm at. By the time she's able to call the police, get the police out there, when they find the boys, they're up to their neck. Ten minutes later. Been 25 minutes, and they're already about to go under. They're able to get the kids out through some other things that they had to do. But can I tell you that uh, I promise you there was a great appreciation for the police department at that moment. Now, why? There's a great appreciation for cell phones at that moment. Why? Great appreciation that mom got it, right? Why? Because they, it was almost over. They were to their neck in it. They, they realized their circumstances, right? They didn't have to be very old to figure it out. Uh, in about five more minutes, we're going to choke on the last bit of breath that we have. So there was a greater appreciation for things. You know, my brother-in-law, my brother-in-law about four or five years ago was in an accident. He uh, was, a, he's a UPS truck driver. Uh, he drives long haul. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed uh, about him, about four or five years ago, this accident, he went to sleep. And it was the other guy's turn to drive. Uh, the other guy had been asleep for a while, so it's his turn to drive. Cool. One of the things they do in those big trucks is they seatbelt themselves into the beds. You know, so when they go to sleep, they seatbelt themselves in. So if there's any kind of turning, it doesn't roll them out. Things like that. Good stuff. Because if something does happen, they're seatbelted in kind of thing. The guy falls asleep at the wheel. The wreck is so bad, and the truck is so mangled, the driver dies. This was his, like, for two years straight, it was just him and this other guy. They worked three days a week, and he's off four days. But they would live, sleep, eat together for three days a week. For a couple of years, they was their partners. So it was a tragedy for him. Like, he woke up, and he was in the hospital. He had no idea what happened. He had brain injury. He suffered from short-term memory loss. And, um, and so when I, when I met him about four, I got to see him about two or three weeks, maybe a month after all this stuff, and he finally out of the hospital, and he's finally like, I'm telling you, he's still never the same guy. But can I tell you what he does every time now? Man, I love you. I just want you to know I love you. I just want you to know I love you. I just want you to know I love you. Man, I have a new he has a newfound appreciation for life. Can I tell you, if you know Jeff Walker, Jeff Walker's the same way, guys. I knew Jeff Walker before the accident. I knew Jeff Walker after the accident. Jeff Walker after the accident, make sure he tells you he loves you. He acts like he has this newfound appreciation for life. Why? Because he's seen the edge. He's nowhere he's been rescued from. A lot of us never know that. Until you wrestle with how wicked you actually are. The funny thing about Jesus and salvation, we have this idea that some of us are rescued from a deeper pit than others. But let me tell you something. Whether God's rescuing you from a 20-foot hole or a one-inch hole. Both of them, if you're left there, you're going to die. Same fate. 
So it doesn't matter. For those who you think, well, they're pretty good people, uh uh-huh, they're in the same hole. They just don't realize it. Maybe not as deep, doesn't seem as deep, doesn't matter. If they stay in that hole, they're going to die. They stay in that, they stay in that uh, uh, sand trap there. They stay in that quicksand. They're going to die. doesn't matter that they're only foot deep in right now. It doesn't matter that they're just standing on the surface. They're going to die if they keep standing there. When we start to realize that, when we have the fullness of the understanding of our depravity, when we have the fullness of understanding, that's why Paul's saying, go back and remember. Go back and remember. Remember who you used to be. It's not about hanging out there. It's about trying to make you appreciate what God's done for you. God's not condemning you by saying, remember this? Remember when you were horrible? You should appreciate me. No. First of all, he's trying to say, look what you've been rescued from. Remember every day what you've been rescued from. Man, it would change the way you talk to people. The proof, look at those who've been in life and death situations and how they talk to people. They talk to people entirely different, entirely different than we do because they have an appreciation for life and the things that they almost lost. And I'm telling you, God has rescued you from things that you didn't even know you could have lost. Some of you, I'm telling you, some of you think, well, it's been pretty tough already. Uh Uh-huh, but it could be worse. It could be worse. Praise the Lord. God has pulled you out. He's called you out from darkness and into light. God, in this like selfless act with Christ being on the cross, He saves us. And through His resurrection now, because He's ascended, we are united now in Christ. By, by the way, that phrase, I don't know if you noticed, it's used like six times in the first two chapters. United in Christ is kind of a big deal. Paul keeps trying to reiterate it over and over. Right, So just in these two chapters of Ephesians, he brings it up six different times. You're united in Christ. You're uni- remember when you were this way? That's great. But remember now that you're united in Christ? Remember now that you and Christ are one? You're one now with him. All the holiness, all the stuff you've been trying to attain by reading your Bible every day and getting up and trying to be so uh, law-driven. <laughs> if I do these things, then I will be this way. Christ says, I impute it unto you. Yeah, it's good for you. Go read the Bible. Go pray. He wants you to because he really just draws you into relationship with him. But I'm going to tell you right now, it doesn't make you more holy. Christ has already given you his holiness. You're united with him. When you united with him, it became your holiness. When you're united with him, it became his freedom became your freedom. His power became your power, right? Resurrection, ascension power that he has became your resurrection and ascension power. This old life that you have, you've been, listen, you're dead to that thing. You've been reborn. You've ascended into a whole new life now. All that became yours when we united in Christ. Being united in Christ unites us together as a family too. It unites us as brothers and sisters, a shared community. We were all once dead. We were all once disobedience, living in sin. We were all once the children of the devil. But now we're saved. Now we're saved. We believe in the one who sent us. We believe in grace. We believe in the mercy that God bestows upon us, man. It opens us up. It allows us to think. It allows us to see that we're united. We're united. And then he goes on to say, united in Christ, you become this this new creation, right? I mean, we talk about that a lot as a saved person anyway. When you're saved, you should become a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? Because you're united now with him. You can't kind of say the same. We talked about this in four. If you hang around somebody long enough, you act like they do. I mean, I could throw you that picture up. I'm going to tell you how that dude acts. He acts like everybody hung around. When I walked with sailors, I talked like a sailor. 
when I ran with guys who were combat-driven guys, I was a combat-driven guy. As I've walked with Christians, I've become Christ-like. The thing is, man, we end up becoming whatever the environment. I mean, we already know that. Like, if I teach you, that's like a basic truth, fundamental truth that we all know, right? You kind of come in your environment. So what are you putting yourself around, right? If you're united with Christ, then you become that environment. And so the question becomes, man, are you acting like Christ? That's the only thing we can really see. We can't really see the work that's going on. That's where we have to be patient. We have to remember, right, that all of us were once like this. So when somebody doesn't act like a Christian, rather than probably pointing it out, because how many times do you like being pointed out when you don't act like a Christian? Probably ought to just give it some time. Probably ought to just give it time. By the way, that's Facebook 101, guys. Just be reminded right now where everything's hot and tempered. All right? Be reminded right now. I could weep right now. I, I don't want to. Uh, maybe I'll talk about it here in the end, but this past week and, and everything we're going to have to face, I need to talk about it, but I'll wait here. God says we're a new creation. He calls us a masterpiece. You ever feel like that? Come on, man. I have to think that the reason they came out with all this, like, picture stuff so you can look like your skin is smooth as all get out and you have no face acne and uh, your hair is always perfect and you have, like, perfect features is because we never feel like a masterpiece. By the way, I work Photoshop, too. Nobody's pointing the finger. (laughs) That's what I do for a living, man. Make everything look cleaner and better than it actually is. That's just the world we live in, man. It struggles to be honest about everything. Struggles, man. Um, but God says we're the masterpiece. We were created to be a masterpiece, man. You don't see it like that. And, that's, and, and, and I think God gets that, right? I really do. I think he gets it. I think that's why he says it a lot. Man, he calls you like in uh, uh, my, one of my favorites, Ezekiel. You're my prized possession. I'm pretty sure most of us don't get called that. I know that when I was dead in my sins, I sure didn't get called that. I got called a lot of things, but prized possession wasn't one of them. Now, I think after 20-something years of marriage, my wife would just now maybe say that. And even then, I think I'm, like, uh, pushing it. More like possession, maybe not prize. But I can't help but think when I see the word masterpiece, and maybe this is because of uh, my heart towards this, and and maybe uh, it's because of the Scripture kind of has a long-term meaning with me. Uh, for a lot of things that I've done in my life, evolved around purity with the word masterpiece. Uh, but I can't help but think of a masterpiece as always the mosaic. I can't help it. And you know what a mosaic is? It's this picture made up of a lot of little broken pieces, right? Some of them are really cool, man. I mean, like some of them, they take all this tile and all this crazy looking stuff, and they take all these broken pieces that if I threw them in a bucket, you'd be like, all right, you want me to throw this in the dumpster? Like, that's what you would literally think if I showed you the pieces that make up beautiful masterpiece, mosaic masterpieces. You'd be like, uh, so this is the trash, right? I mean, because that's what it looks like. Like somebody broke the stuff that was probably supposed to go down, and now it's just all in little bits and pieces. And you're like, no, this is, this is, this is what I'm going to use to create the masterpiece. Well, I don't, how's that going to work? Yeah, I know you don't see it. That's the artist. That's the artist that sees it. How are all these broken pieces going to fit together and make this church work? Aren't we so different? By the way, we are. We are. I'm sure we have differences of opinions. We have differences of ideas. How is that all going to work? Well, it's easy. It's because, first of all, the artist is in control of the picture, not me. Second is Jesus is the one who weaves this thread. 
He's the one who unites us and reminds us first and foremost that the truth of God is what prevails. The truth of God triumphs our life. It triumphs, by the way, I know I'm a patriot too, but it does triumph the Constitution. It triumphs what we believe. It, 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 it's over that, right? Because sometimes what we believe is not necessarily God's word. It trumps all those things. I know we don't like to hear that. We don't like to even talk like that. Are you kidding me? America is a Christian, blah, 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 blah. No, we're not. We're a democracy. We're a democracy. We're not a theocracy. Still, God takes all these broken pieces, and he puts them back together. And he creates something beautiful from that which is broken. And he calls it good. He calls it a masterpiece. You call it the wreck of your life. <laughs> God calls it the rescue. How great were you rescued? How deep were you rescued? You can't ever know until you start to remember. So Paul says, remember when you were dead in your sins? Like I hope you do. Like I hope you practice that. By the way, you know what else the New Testament calls that when we remember? It calls it repentance. Every time we repent, we repent. Why? Because we remember. Remember who God is, what he's done. The Bible tells a story of a man that was blind, and Jesus takes some dirt, and he spits on it. By the way, I'm not going to practice that in here. That is a New Testament practice, and maybe if somebody offends me enough, I'll start picking that thing up. Be like, I'm about to spit in this dude's eye. I'm going to spit in this dude's eye, and I'm going to call it good. No, it's not going to happen. But... There's this, this man's blind. God, Jesus reaches down. He takes a little bit of mud. And I think it's all symbolic because, uh, by the way, Jesus has healed people without spitting on them. All right? So he doesn't need to. So why does he? Because he's trying to tell you that he's the potter and you're the clay. I can always mend that was broken. I can always take more clay. Stick it right back in there. It's okay. Well, it's going to be cracked. It's never going to be like it was brand new. Yeah, but that doesn't make it not useful. That doesn't make it not useful. Maybe, maybe you just don't see the beauty in it. I love American pickers who walk around and like refuse to have anything restored. No, it's rusted through. I know, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> what? Yeah, I love it just like it is. I don't want to clean it up at all. Yeah. Right? I think that's Jesus sometimes, right? Like he, What he does is he goes, man, I'm going to save them. I'm going to turn their heart around. Well, they're, they're, Jesus, you, you still see him, right? And he's like, yeah, in me. Them plus me. It's always them. Them plus me. It's never by ourselves. It's always Jesus plus us. We're never by ourselves. He never sees us by ourselves. It's always him plus us. Right? He transforms us into something new altogether in Christ. He does this because we're united with him. He does this because he desires to. I love Isaiah. You know, a lot of people don't talk about the end of Isaiah. Where it says that God will give a portion to the strong. Right? And he's talking about Jesus. God's going to give a portion of inheritance to him. And then it says he will share his, his, his uh, inheritance. He's going to share that portion with us. He's his choice. Like he's chosen to share what God has given him and give to us. I always think that's crazy. He doesn't owe us anything ever. But that's always crazy. So when we talk about united in Christ, we don't, we don't fully understand. I mean, like when we say, when we say united, man, I'm talking in all things. United... United at the cross, united at his resurrection, united in his ascension, united in his healings, united in his beatings, united in his sufferings, united in his prayer, united in all things. You get it all, all of him. 
Man, and he looks out, and he looks at this masterpiece that he's created. I, I, I always think of it as a mosaic there. It's one of the reasons we went with mosaic. We wanted to be the masterpiece that God's created, and it's made up of different broken pieces. And I don't know how they all fit together. I don't know how they fit together, but I can't deny that they're not broken pieces. And so, God, and so Paul's real good about this. And remember this. Just remember who you are. Remember where you come from. Remember where you're headed. Right? How are you ever going to go forward if you don't know where you came from? All right? Where are you pointing towards? Are you pointing towards Jesus? Or are you so busy looking in the past, you're headed back there? Well, you can't go back and live in the past. It doesn't mean you don't act like it. Now, let me address some things as we remember. Remember who you are. Some people have lost their unbelieving minds. This week has been crazy. And for what? I'm going to tell you something, man. By the way, if you didn't know, life's going to go on. Life's going to go on. America's never been about us agreeing with each other. And if you think it is, you're crazy. All right? You can call it politically or whatever. Let's just talk about truth. Democracy is not of heaven. You're not going to live in that in heaven. Man, you better get all your opinions out right now. Get them out. Because heaven is theocracy. You don't get to vote God out. You won't get to vote his word out. You won't get to vote anything you don't like out. That's how it's going to be there. Right? Somebody like, that's dictatorship. Uh Uh-huh, well, you know what? God intervened in your life. Otherwise, uh, he could just leave you. The Bible says that you are already destined to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Justice sends people to hell. You already deserve by your nature, right? God intervenes in your life and says, I choose you. Why? Because it pleases me. Because I like it. Right? He's no respecter of person, so it's not any one thing that you've done or who you are or what you've attained in life. It's just simply because God says, because I feel good. It makes me feel good. I love you. That's really like it is, man. I mean, like, really, it's like, it's like this. Remember, we've said it in here before. It's like a drunk love. I just love you. Just want to do everything I can for you. Why? Because I do. Just because I do. I mean, I, it's one of the reasons I love the gospel so much. You know, it's just this, this lavishing love that I, honestly I can't understand. I really can't. I can't even do it justice. But if anything, this world right, if this world needs anything right now, it needs a real Christian, somebody who literally lives united with Jesus Christ. Listen, if you don't think opinions were differing in the days of Jesus, by the way, he lived under Roman oppression. He seemed to do just fine in ministry. Now, yeah, 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 persecution comes, and it might come to us. That's part of the deal, guys. doesn't stop truth from being truth. All right? Be seekers of truth. Love the truth more than you want to be right. By the way, you know, I said this to somebody the other day. And this is a Jesus leadership thing. Other people's actions don't dictate our actions. There's nothing that anybody can say that allows you or makes permissible for you to demean them, for you to treat them poorly, for whatever, if you're candidate one or if you're candidate lost. Nothing allows you to demean anybody. Jesus, we're supposed to love, there's two commandments that he says, man, if we get these things, we've got it. To love him and to love those whom he loves, his people. All of them. All of them. 
lest you forget, lest you fail to remember where you came from. All right? Lest you fail to remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Remember that you, you're not different. You're not better. You've been rescued. You see differently because you've been pulled out of the hole now. There are still people that need to be rescued. They're not going to be rescued by just being demeaning. How many of you just been like totally like, I got saved because somebody totally just bashed me? Well, by the way, I will say this. I did totally learn the Bible, but not in a good way. Like when I originally read the Bible, I totally learned it because I got Bible thumped. And I was like, I'm going to show them. I'm going to read this Bible, and I'm going to just tongue lash them. And I could, and I really did. I got to where, like, they would never want to talk to me about the Bible. Like, totally, I'm going to get you. And you know who really got me in the end? God. I became a preacher. And I think they laugh now. We totally got you. I think it's how it was. You know why? Because the truth will win. They've been trying to stomp this message out for a long time, guys. Long time. And if you're looking for America to be your savior, you're already wrong, man. If you're looking for democracy to be your hope, you're already wrong. There's only one hope, there's only one light, and there's only one truth, and his name is Jesus Christ. Get yourselves off Facebook. Man, fast Facebook for a while. Good gracious. You ought to fast the news for a while. Right? And practice loving one another. How about when you can get like an expert level? How about just intermediate level at that? We'll go back to going Facebook and news. All right? Because I don't even think we're at intermediate level just yet. Because right now we're still kind of like, we want to be right. We still kind of want that. And I get it. I get some of it. I do. But I go back to this. This is the remember part for me. What is the truth? The truth of what God has called me to do is to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. The truth is I'm called to love others as I would want to be loved. And as I want respect, I must give it. Well, what, they're not giving me respect back. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the world. Yeah, Jesus was spit on. They put a crown of thorns on him. They kicked him. They dragged him. That guy never said anything. That was, to me, that was all that offensive. Yeah, he offended the religious elite. He offended those who thought differently, and they made sure they butchered him for it. But he never lifted his hands to them. Never called them he never, he never, like, ridiculed them or mocked them or anything else like that. All right? And it's not about, well, Jesus took the high ground. Jesus is the high ground. What are you talking about, man? It's not like that. It's not like you're better. Well, I'm going to take the high ground because I'm so much better. Love people. That's not loving people. That's not loving people. Love people. You know how I know when you love people? It's when you listen to them. And I don't mean like you, like, yeah, 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 you hear where this at. I mean, like, listen to them. Be in the present. Listen to people. This, if ever there was a week to speak to this, it's this week. Love people this week, man. Love people this week. You can be different, man. You don't have to be like everybody else. By the way, the Bible, the word, the truth calls you set apart. Are you acting it? The Bible also calls you peculiar. Are you acting it? Or are you like everybody else? Are you following the group, the mass? That's not going to be the right way in the end. It's the whole idea of the mosaic. It's the whole idea of the remember. That's why Paul's so adamant. This was a perfect message for this idea because, listen, before we go off and we have a week where we're bombarded by all the craziness of life, 
and the craziness of our government right now, the craziness of the way people are acting. So many emotions are hurt. So many people are hurting. This is the time for the gospel to be preached. This is the time. It's not the time just to see we're going to forcibly, this is it, and this is what we're going to do, and we were right. It's not the time for that. It's the time to be loving. It's the time to be caring. It's the time to reach out and hug some necks. Doesn't mean we agree with everybody. We live in a democracy where we don't have to agree. I've always said democracy is nothing more but where sin and righteousness can be neighbors. I hate to say that, but it's true. It was always meant to be a place where those who disagree could live. That's what America is, guys. That's not heaven. That's America. Let's, let's not get the two confused. Now, is it heaven on earth? On earth, maybe, because it can be worse. I've seen worse. But it's not that, what we long for. Why do we remember? Because we long for something else. We hope for something else. We're driving towards something else. Man, this church isn't going to be started so we can have a nice little church in America and live nice, our little comfortable lives here in the hill country and enjoy the beautiful Texas scenery. It's not going to be like that, guys. We hope in something greater than this. I, I would rather have nothing but, and have revival than have a bunch of things and us never see revival. I'm, that's what I'm shooting for, guys. I don't, I don't care about it. I mean, I'm going to talk about us getting into it. I'm talk about those things. But what I really hunger for is everybody in this community being saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would like to know for a shadow of a doubt that every single soul in, the, in a 20-mile, 30-mile radius of this place has been witnessed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've at least knocked on the front door. We've at least approached them and tried. That way, when I approached the Father, man, I made sure that I loved my neighbor, God. That's more important to me right now is loving my neighbor more than myself. I could sit back, I could be comfortable, I could say, well, I've got a place to preach, I've got a house to go to. Listen, this is why I remember, but I remember where I came from. Let me wrap it up right here. I remember where I came from. I remember who that guy was standing up there being all cocky, trying to show off his uh, skinny self. That's like the one time I'm skinny in life, right out of boot camp. Uh, uh, I can remember that kid. And you know what? What you don't see behind the smile and all that is that he was miserable. He was so miserable. But you know what I also remember? I remember the first time I felt the Holy Spirit. The, the tangible, physical presence of the axe-moving Holy Spirit. And I remember it like, like hitting me in the gut. And these three older women just praying for me. And I remember... Words coming out of my mouth that didn't make sense, and I didn't know it, and I felt like I got ambushed. And it took a hold of me so great that it has forever changed my entire life. It has changed my entire life. I am never going to be the same ever again. God, it, to me, it was God came down from heaven he laid his hand on me, and he anointed me for something different. Now, I became the pastor because I didn't know what else to do. Like, I wanted to tell everybody, and apparently those who want to tell everybody end up becoming pastors. It just seemed like the logical choice. Because it was a joke up until then. I'd gone to church. I loved Jesus. I was saved. But I hadn't really been baptized in the Holy Spirit. But the minute that baptism hit me, man, that's why I can never be like, believe me, I've had offers uh, 
in between Mosaic and the last church I was at to be at the Methodist church, be at the Baptist. I'm like, what happens when I start speaking in tongues? What happens when the tangible Holy Spirit comes upon me and I start acting weird? Are you going to get mad? Because you don't believe in that. But the problem is that I've already experienced it. And I don't, know how to, I don't know how to tell you it was real. I don't know how to tell you it wasn't the imagination of my own mind. I don't know how to tell you if it was. In, what I know this, for me, it was real. For me, it was the, the physical evidence of Jesus Christ. I am convinced beyond convinced. Anytime I get filled doubt, I remember that. Well, Lord, I haven't felt that in so long. Doesn't matter what you feel in so long. Know what I've done. Know what I've done. Stay the course. Stay the course. And this morning, you're the message is for you. Remember to stay the course. Remember where you came from. And stay the course. Stay the course. He's real. He's true. You can trust him. You already have. You know you wouldn't be here if you didn't know that. You know that. You know that. I'm going to bring worship back in. A few things I want to pray for this morning. I want to pray for a few people. I want to pray for our country, obviously. We're in a, we're in a crazy place. I pray for anybody who wants to take on the mantle of president. It's a horrible job. It's a horrible job. You're pulled apart by everybody. Every president is. Every president is under scrutiny. Any leader, by the way, is always under scrutiny. By the way, I do love how our country works. I do love it that the, we the people get the, are the ones who get to scrutinize it. I do love that part of it too, though. I wouldn't want to take one without the other. I think that too much power can corrupt a man. He needs to be held accountable to everybody, and I like that. But we need to pray for him. We need to pray for those, the ones who've exited, the ones who've been in that position, man, that they get some rest. You know, one of the, the saddest parts to me was watching, they, you know, they're showing back and forth uh, Barack Obama in the very beginning. Here's this young man. He's got his young wife. And then by the end of his eight years, that dude's gray-headed. He's all get out. I mean, bags underneath his eyes. By the way, I watched the same thing with George Bush. That dude, man, he looked so young and so happy. And then by the end, he was like uh, gray-haired. Uh, I mean, just these guys, they age in front of us. They literally age from the stress of it all in front of us. And I want to pray for our president. I want to pray for our country. For all those that feel like they didn't get hurt, I want to pray for them, man. I want to pray love over it all. I know we've had a lot of people sick. I know that this wind doesn't help us uh, amongst the big cedar explosion. <coughs> Lest I remind you right there. Um, I want to pray for... Uh, Bess Wallace has been on my heart lately. Y'all probably don't, some of y'all know Bess Wallace, some of you don't. She's been in the hospital and it doesn't, it, it doesn't look good from time to time. I want to pray for her this morning. So uh, worship's behind me right here. At the end of worship here, we're just going to take a time of prayer. And then I'm going to invite you to the altar. Let's remember. Let's remember. And if, we're, if you don't need anything at the altar, that's fine. But at least where you're at, maybe a prayer of thanks. A prayer of thanks. That's why we remember. 